You're listening to Game Like Training Radio. I'm your host, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. And today we are talking with Dr. Tim Lee. Tim is the man, to be quite honest. Tim talked to us about specificity. And then we actually dive off a little bit into feedback. And then we tie it all together with a bit of Mark Guadagnoli and his challenge point framework yeah this was uh this is a good conversation matt I, I enjoyed a number of the things tim you know has such a, a a wide range of knowledge you know when you look back at some of the papers that he's been involved with it really it spans all places of the field and the paper that he wrote with uh richard schmidt plan act review which we mentioned at the end is, is kind of the one thing to definitely go check out it's really just this fantastic review of all the motor learning research in golf. I actually think that that one is probably the the one that's been most read by golf coaches that I've spoken to. It really does conclude everything really simply. If you're not into reading all the, the technical stuff, this is it's the perfect paper. For sure. We have it linked up on uh, on the post that goes along with this this episode on GolfScienceLab.com. Make sure to go go read that because Tim, Tim really does have a lot of good stuff. But uh, before we get into this, Matt, you actually put together four videos kind of talking about how to do more game-like training. People should go check those out, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to get all of the research and all of the science and all the theories that are out there, I try to put it in a practical way for golf coaches to understand and know how to go ahead and do something with a, with a player, with a student that encapsulates all of these theories because they can be quite difficult to comprehend at times so i do my very best to put it in an easy video format there you go yeah no it, it is really good you've kind of distilled it down to, to four really simple things that you can do players can get a good idea of how to change their what they do at the range uh, really quickly and then coaches can get a good idea about how to help their students mix up their, their training and you can get those at golfsciencelab.com slash better training that four video series awesome matt let's get into it all right, excited to be with Dr. Tim Lee today. I have done a few things with Tim in the past and I've come up with this title of he's kind of the godfather of learning research in golf as he's been a part of a lot of the research that's gone on for quite a while now and, and kind of spearheaded a lot of, of a lot of this research about motor learning and where things are headed. So it's really an honor to, to talk to him today and, and have a conversation uh, today a little bit about specificity and, and feedback. Great. Thanks for having me, Cordy. Glad to be here. Yeah. Hi, Matt. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us, Tim. It's it's a privilege and pleasure to speak with you. Thanks, Matt. So uh, specificity, right? Could you just define that for us real quick, or like what what does that mean? It's an it's kind of an old term that's gone through uh, a few different revivals. The way people talk about it now is in terms of, well, in terms of the research, it concerns the conditions under which uh, participants engage in practice compared to the conditions in which they engage in some sort of retention or transfer tests. And to put it as simplistically as I can, the specificity notion is that when the conditions of practice are similar to or promote similar kinds of cognitive uh, processes uh, in retention and transfer, when those two match as much as possible, that produces the best results. And when you tend to get the, the least favorable results is when the conditions of practice are quite different than the conditions under which people do retention and transfer tests. So the notion of specificity is, is that training conditions should be specific 
to the conditions under which retention and transfer are performed. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that maybe the very simplistic phrase of, of practice like you play. I mean, would that be the most basic distillation of that? Yes. Perfect. Why do we use the term specificity or, or where does it, does that come from just learning in general and we're applying it to golf or where does that term come from? It goes back, as I said, to an earlier day when research uh, talked about the idea of specificity of individual differences. And this goes back to some work done by Franklin Henry at the University of California, Berkeley, where he was finding that individuals, uh, the skills that individuals have are much less general than than most people thought. There wasn't a general motor ability, rather people had many specific abilities. And while you might be fast at one thing, you might not be fast at other things. So this notion of quickness was a, an overused generalized term that was found to be untrue for the most part. And then the, the idea of specificity kind of grew into, rather than just individual differences that people possess, became more like a notion of learning. So how you learned and the conditions under which you learned were specific to how well you performed in different conditions under transfer and retention. So the notion of specificity has been around for a long time. That's interesting, Tim. I remember reading a really good book, The Mortal Learning and Performance, fifth edition by yourself and Richard Schmidt. I thought that was the most appropriate for what the brand is and what the podcast is called game like training you know specificity practicing the way you would play and that is practicing game like and so i've spoke with a bunch of different coaches and a lot of different people explaining this this notion what you've just put so elegantly much more well, much more <laughs> elegantly than than i have ever done it well, but, thanks um, matt yeah i've read some of the things that you've done and and i think that you've captured the the uh uh, the notion of specificity as it relates to golf practice quite uh, quite well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But do you know what I come across quite often is I get people asking me, well, it's all right getting this golfer to practice more game-like, but this particular golfer is a beginner. And this golfer to the left is a beginner. This golfer to the right is way more advanced. They can't just practice like they play because they're two completely different golfers. So they, they tend to ask me, you know, what are the differences between different level golfers and specificity? Great question. And I, and I think that there's a lot less evidence to base that answer on than I think there is uh, looking at someone who has a little, at least a little bit of skill to start with. You know, I, I can't give you a clear answer on that, but I think you have to use the notion of specificity in a reasonable kind of way. Yeah, it, what I mean by that is, is that if you've got someone who's struggling uh, on the golf course, maybe just a beginning learner, then I think you have to you know, start allowing them to do things that are going to give them some confidence and some positive feelings about themselves going forward. And sometimes specificity is hard. When you train under a game-like conditions, those are probably the most uh, difficult conditions under which to practice. So if you're looking at taking an individual who's just starting out, maybe with very little confidence and very little positive feelings going forward in their game, then I think you've got to maybe back off a bit on the notion of specificity in terms of how it produces difficult training conditions. How does specificity relate to challenge point? Well, I think uh, the notion of challenge point is that you try and 
and set up the difficulty in practice relative to the skill level of the individuals so that you're always challenging them challenging them at a point that's just a little bit beyond their capability. So while you might have game-like situations that that involve driving rain and high winds and and bad weather conditions, you that might be a little bit beyond the uh, the point of an of a beginning golfer in terms of training. Uh, so I think that that uh, setting up practice to simulate game-like situations at a point that's reasonable for the skill level of the individual is a task that um, that the individual instructor and coach has to try and and figure out ahead of time so specificity is a is a sliding scale then you would say it's a it's a sliding scale it's something I think you want to try and and look towards or try to achieve you know if, if uh, and there are degrees of specificity too you can think of specificity along the lines of the physical practice conditions under which you you conduct your practice, uh, and I would say that the the typical golf driving range is probably the most aseptic in terms of specificity. It's probably the the least like a golf course that you're going to find, or or guess maybe hitting into a practice net might be the least like uh, playing on the golf course. But those are just environmental conditions. You can also think of specificity in terms of of uh, the cognitive process that the person is going through as well. And I think, in fact, a lot of the motor learning research kind of gets at this cognitive process. What kind of cognitive issues and uh, processes are the, is the golfer going through during practice? And are those the ones that are going to be appropriate for uh, playing out on the golf course? Are, is what the person's learning specific to what they need to have when they play the game? I, one more question. I, I, so I keep referring this back to challenge point in my mind for some reason. But I mean, what is more important in your mind? Would, would challenge point be more important or would specificity be more important? Well, I think they go hand in hand. I think that, that uh, specificity is a part of challenge point because you set up uh, challenges that are, are appropriate for the individual uh, and the skill level of the individual. Um, and you can set up game-like situations that are more or less challenging. And probably the most elite golfers are the ones that need the, the, the highest level of challenge and probably the ones that are most specific to the range of, of conditions that they're going to get on the golf course. So many questions, Matt. Uh, <laughs> what do you have for Matt? Why don't you get a question in here? Sorry, I'm asking all. all of I'm these not questions. sure if I answered your question well enough, Cordy. So I apologize <laughs> for that. No, I, I I think I have a better understanding now. <laughs> he's feeling he's feeling very interviewer interviewer Tim. He's, yep. he's, he's getting excited with questions. I like to do that. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> um, I have a question in regards to specificity and the ecological dynamics, like the constraints-led type learning, the theories that are, that are getting published about that way of uh, training golfers. What is it, the relationship between specificity and the constraints-led approach? Well, I, I'm going to probably butcher this answer pretty badly <laughs> <laughs> because I haven't read the constraints-led research in a, in a while, but my recollection and understanding of that approach is that you 
you set up environments and situations in which the learner has to figure out for themselves how to solve the problem. So if you set up, um, for example, if you uh, stick a tree in front of someone, you know, uh, 20 feet in front of someone and, and then a target yeah. another 50 yards uh, on the other side of the tree and say, okay, get the ball at the target. It's cause that's a constraint in a way in which the, the, the goal is to get the ball at the target, but there's a tree in the middle of the, of the, of the direct route. So you have to now figure out how you're going to get it there. So you can go left, you can go right. If you're going to go left, you're going to have to hit some kind of a slice or fade shot. If you go to the right, you're going to have to hit a hook or draw around the tree. You know, so in this case, so I see that as a, uh, a situation where you're practicing in a way that's specific to what might happen on the golf course. You got this tree in front of you and you have to figure out how you're going to get around it and get the ball towards the target. So in a way, I, I think that constraints-based um, approaches to, to learning are, are very consistent with a, with a specificity idea. That was really well put. If you're saying you're going to butcher that, I think that was really well done. <laughs> well, thank you. So, I, I mean, on on that line, so in a sense, there's no feedback in, in a constraint-based model besides the feedback of, of success, I guess, in a sense. So let's go to the other extreme, feedback, right, and specificity. So on the golf course, you, you do not have speci- uh, feedback from a coach. You don't have feedback from a training aid, uh, et cetera, yet... We know that a lot of people use these things to to get better, right? So there's a disconnect there between feedback and, and specificity, right? Or no? Well, yeah. It, again, it's it's a degree. You can you can try and set up situations that will allow for the most specific type of, of transfer to occur. Um, you know, I, I kind of think of feedback, and, and when we're talking about feedback here, let's just be clear that we're talking about feedback from an external device, right? Be that uh, a coach or um, a, a video replay to the individual or uh, some sort of physical guidance device. The other type of feedback, of course, is vision and proprioception and audition, what you hear. Uh, those are all internal sources of feedback. Now, that's an important distinction to make because those internal sources of feedback are going to be with you on the practice range and they're also going to be with you out on the golf course. So those are the kinds of things that when you, if you want to call it tune in or figure out how to, how to best use, are going to be with you both uh, in practice and on the course. So anything you can do to improve the sensitivity or the um, precision of the way they deliver information is going to be helpful in terms of, of both practice and learning because they're specific to both. The other types of feedback, the external uh, sources of feedback are great sources of information that are available to you during practice, but they're not available to you out on the golf course. The question is, how can you make the most out of those external sources of feedback such that they help you at both places? How can you use them so that they're specific to what you learn to be able to apply them out on the golf course? Does that make sense? Does to me, yeah. That made sense to what I what I heard. I was gonna ask on on top of that, I was gonna bring up positive and negative feedback. So feedback from the coach. What are your thoughts on 
a coach providing positive feedback and a coach providing negative feedback? <laughs> well, you know what? That's a, that's a really timely question. <laughs> because, because my, and I say that because my views on that are all messed up now. Um, I thought I had it. I thought I had it figured out years ago, and and then Gabby Wolf and and uh, Rebecca Luthwaite have come along with some research in the last few years that have kind of made me uh, think twice about you know what I thought I knew what they've been finding and and I, I should also point out we have a, uh, a graduate student that I, whose thesis committee I was on who just uh, defended her thesis a couple of weeks ago and she did her work with uh, uh, with surgical uh, trainees uh, individuals who are trained to become surgeons and what she found uh, supported the work that uh, uh, Gabby and Rebecca had found as well so uh, it really made me uh, uh, think hard about what my beliefs were and, and the research that they've found is is this it used to be that providing good feedback or bad feedback telling people that they're performing well telling people they're performing poorly was was a motivator that tended to influence performance uh, but wasn't specific to learning that is it didn't really have a carryover effect in retention and transfer but but these researchers are showing that those ideas are wrong in fact that having a person feel good about themselves providing positive feedback telling them that they're actually performing and learning better than uh, a group of cohorts that start out at the same time as them actually has a positive uh, benefit both at the time that they're getting the feedback and afterwards. So it's actually having a learning benefit, a positive uh, effect on performance trans in retention and transfer. It seems as though there is a benefit from positive feedback that has a benefit on performance in terms of its motivational character that has an implicit effect, or sorry, I don't want to use the word implicit, has an effect on a person's feeling of, of self-confidence and motivation that has a specific effect that transfers well into uh, retention and transfer. So really interesting research that's coming out right now. And I should also point out that Rebecca and, and Gabby have a new paper coming out that uh, develops this research into a, a new theory of learning, uh, motor learning in, in particular, that's going to be published, I think, in the Psychonomic Bulletin and Review in the next month or two. So you should get in touch with that paper and read it. I think it's going to be, have a, a large impact on the motor learning community. If you're enjoying this episode, head over to golfsciencelive.com slash better training and get four videos that we've put together to help you have a more game-like training learning environment. We'll dive into the specific things that you can do to get more out of the time that you spend on the range. Golfsciencelive.com slash better training. All right, let's get back to it. It's almost like uh, by changing expectations in a sense like like we're if i was to change this this conversation about feedback just a little bit but like we're we're changing expectations maybe a little bit of the learner would you say is that on point or interpreted just a little differently or yeah i think that that's uh, probably a good part of it that they're they're changing expectations about themselves with regards to mastery of the task and even though they may be 
performing not that well. As you start out learning any task, you're probably not performing very well. If, but if someone says, you know, you're doing great, you're doing better than almost everyone that's ever tried this task before, you know, you don't think you're doing well, but in fact, you're doing fantastic. All of a sudden, a person starts going, you know what? Hey, I can, I can do this. And it engenders all kinds of positive things that uh, influence, positively influences learning, I think. I should add, I'm not a sports psychologist, um, <laughs> but and, and so this is t- this is an important uh, line of research, I think, that is growing the areas of motor learning and sports psychology together, which I think is a wonderful thing. Yeah, is that like how I interpret and how you interpret this? Is is that like saying confidence at the end of the day is confidence? You know, that's a good point. It, I like that term. That that makes that makes a lot of sense. It it uh, it certainly. Confidence leads to improvements in, in competence, for sure. Yeah, because I, I mean, I'm going to bring about just a real example of a student that hasn't been playing golf for too long that, that I work with. He's only young. He's been playing golf for less than uh, maybe 13 months. He's not been playing long yet, and he's probably done a total of, I think we counted out the other day as like maybe 40 hours total practice. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not a lot to be honest and um and he struggles and you can see in sometimes in in a lesson that he gets a little down and frustrated and upset that he's not hitting these amazing shots but i sometimes question myself am i doing the right thing by you know trying to keep his spirits high and giving it feeding him positivity by saying look i know that's not what you envision but you're actually doing really good look at this as a positive thing you've you might not be hitting the best shot but the clubs make you making contact with the ball and all of these things seem really small but it changes the way he thinks and feels about his game and i've i've always questioned is that the right thing or should i actually say that's not very good you need to work harder i mean you think research right now is supporting confidence at the end of the day is confidence and it's beneficial and helpful. I think the research that I've seen coming out in the last few years uh, suggests that you're doing absolutely the right thing. Well, that's good. Absolutely. (laughs) No, it's it's, uh, a... And and again, I was was one that didn't think that that it had... It made a big difference. It made a a difference at the time, but didn't make a big difference in learning. But um, I'm a believer now. I've seen this time and again from different labs same result showing up so uh i'm a believer yeah another uh, another pop culture reference here and either of you guys watched the netflix documentary last chance university or last chance you either of you seen that by chance i haven't no, no what's it last chance what last chance you no, no, neither of you. Oh, wow. Shed some light on it. Yes, I will. Okay, so it's a document <laughs> documentary that Netflix produced, and it's I think it's like six episodes following um, this community college in Mississippi. It's like East Mississippi University, and it's kind of a school that football players will go to to regain some of their to get back to a d1 school or if they didn't get to the school they wanted to they go there to try to prove themselves to get to a better school a better scholarship etc so it's all these really good football players coming there to try to redeem themselves to get back to the school that they want and so they the soccer money followed a season of the team really interesting really good players i think they've had a number of nfl players come from the program that have gone through there and uh, i mean football coaches right specifically this football coach I would have to say that the feedback he was providing to his players was was not was not positive, uh, not improving their expectations. Right? 
so, I mean, we look at examples of other sports, you know, I can think of plenty of coaches that have that same kind of attitude toward feedback of always pushing their players and always, you know, looking for more, even if they're performing at an amazing level. Are players doing well in those programs because of that or in spite of that? I mean, I think that would be my my question from that. That's a good question. You know, the the problem is you don't have a, a good control group to compare it against. So it's yeah. it's kind of uh, you don't know how they would do had they done it, how well they would do had they done it uh, another way or if been in a different program. But uh, I have to look at that Netflix show. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it, it was. And I mean, I, the reality is that, I mean, there are a lot of coaches that do have a, a very negative feedback to, to their players, though, in other sports, for instance. Yeah. Um, again, is that during, you know, are you talking about during during practice or during the game? I would say I've seen during that both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've seen that too, but I, I remember watching a basketball coach in real life. Like the team was doing great. It was in Orlando. And I went to watch the team practice and I watched them play. And I, I specifically specifically just wanted to see what the coach did because they're a great team. And I was watching the coach and he was hammering the guys both in practice and when they were playing. Not sure how helpful it was, but the team was incredible and they won everything. Hmm. Um, but I, that my question would be like what you just asked, Cody. Are they doing well because of that, or in spite of that? And mm-hmm. I, I, I listened to I listened to John Kessel. I know you you know John Tim, and John talks about keeping people in the sport. Like his record is however many thousand to twenty two. He's only lost twenty two twenty two mm-hmm. people in his last coach. And sometimes I worry that if we take that approach as golf coaches, you know, being the hard the hard tough guy having that mentality and that approach with look if you don't practice this 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 then you're out of here type deal we lose more kids than we than we get into the game and yeah hard to know you know it's uh i'm going to be interested to see how this new research line of research that i mentioned about with gabby and and rebecca how that meshes with the sports psychology literature and, and the sports psychologists i'll be interested to see what becomes of this it's a really I think it's an exciting time for evolving a new line of research in motor learning. Let me see if I can I can wrap this up maybe a bit for someone listening. So when you're looking at your training, you're looking at your game-like training, the specificity and the correct challenge point and all of that, and and you're you're going through it. Maybe to to look at feedback in a better light would be to just set realistic expectations of how you should be performing during that training, even if you're you're on your own without the feedback of a coach. So if you have a target score, make sure that it's realistic. I mean, would, would you say that's that's a, a simple way for someone to interpret this? Yeah, I would say, well, I'm sorry, Corey, I'm going to have you to can say back no. up. I'm going to have to back <laughs> up on you. No, I, I need to clarification. Are, are you talking about the positive feedback? I, I think, yes, feedback in, in general. Well, the interesting thing about that research, now, now that we're, we're talking about it, is that it's actually the research itself is actually done in a in a interesting kind of way because what they do is they regardless of how the person is performing they tell them that they're performing like better than 80% of their cohorts so they may actually be performing worse than their cohorts but they're telling them that they're performing better than their cohorts and in the other group the negative feedback group you know they may be performing really well but they're being told that they're performing 
at a very poor level. So it's interesting in that regard because it's not necessarily indicative of how they're actually performing, but rather how they think they're performing. Um, so, so to go back to your question, the direct translation of that research wouldn't exactly work that way because you're seeing the exact results that you would get, but rather you're, you're relying on uh, an external source of feedback to tell you something that may or may not be true. So it goes back a little bit more to what Matt was saying earlier. You know, can you tell a person that they're doing well, even though they might not be doing well? And this research would suggest that, in fact, that's prob- probably not a bad idea to do that. So is there any way that a golfer could do this on their own then? Or no, because this would just purely being external feedback from a coach or someone letting them know that they'd be better. At this point, I think it's, it's uh, unless you had, mm, I'm just trying to think uh, offhand here, you know, unless you had some sort of uh, computerized or, or automated feedback device that gave them information that they wouldn't otherwise get, and that information got filtered in such a way that it was always producing more positive results than, than what the person may have normally have got, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. As I say, this this research is is kind of is very new, and uh, I think there's going to be opportunities to flush it out over the next few years. Is this one of the areas that you think is is most interesting right now in the research that's going on? I think it's one of the areas that's very interesting, but there's a lot of other stuff going on too. For example, there's a fellow by the name of David Reichensmeyer who's down in California. I think at the University of California, Long Beach, or somewhere on Southern California. Anyways. He's an engineer, and he does research and rehabilitation, physical rehabilitation, and, and I think he also does some golf research. And, and what they've been showing is that there are ways of providing guidance and physical guidance that is shaking up our whole belief system in terms of how it influences learning. So there's some, that's research that's going on there as well. Just give you an example. There's one study I read uh, came out of Korea, I believe, showed that having a guidance device that actually produced more errors rather than reduced errors was actually more beneficial for learning than the typical guidance device that eliminated errors altogether. You know, and again, those are, are kinds of things that are counterintuitive in a way, but when you think about them in terms of the notion of specificity of learning, they're really not that counterintuitive. And what I mean by that is that if you have a, a device, a guidance device, and a guidance device is nothing more than a type of external feedback that's there during practice and not there in, in uh, game-like situations. If you have a physical device that prevents you from making errors, then it also prevents you from learning to detect when an error is made and it prevents you from learning how to correct that error because it's not made in the first place, right? So how can a physical restrict, physically restricted device positively influence your performance out on the golf course if it's not letting you to do the kinds of things that are required to be done out on the golf course? And flipping that around, this research that I mentioned, uh, this new research on actually introducing error by means of a guidance device is a way of forcing the individual to 
detect when a certain error occurs and then ask, you know, having them, having made the error, try to figure out how to correct the error. And that's the kind of, of skill that we all need on the golf course because we know, as Dr. Bob Rotella said, that golf is not a game of perfect. In fact, we make errors all the time. And the person that can detect when an error is being made and make corrections out on the course is probably the one that's going to have the most fun in the long run as well as probably play better. We'll definitely have to have to link up those studies that you mentioned there in the post on the site uh, that goes along with this show. So appreciate that, Tim. To wrap it up, question for you. If sure. someone wanted to read, let's say like two or three papers that you've done to kind of, if they haven't read anything that, that you've done uh, in, the, in the past, what would you recommend that they go check out of papers that you've been a part of? Golf related? Learning related. I guess not Learn. golf in general. <laughs> um, I'll give you one golf one. And in fact, I think it's uh, posted somewhere on one of the websites. Uh, Richard Schmidt and I, Dick and I wrote a paper on in the International Journal of Golf, International Review of Golf. Oh, I forget the name of the journal now. <laughs> one of those things. Um, but it was a review paper on motor learning and implications for golf. We talked about a number of issues related to planning, like contextual interference and quiet eye and, and um, focus of attention, and also some things related to reviewing and how you try to reflect on, on your swing after it's been done. And, and that, that research, we focus on issues of guidance and issues of feedback. And so in the second part of that paper, it really relates quite strongly to the, what we've been talking about in terms of feedback. The whole paper itself and the, and the two sections that we put together all are wrapped up in the end with relation to how they relate to specificity of learning and game-like training. So I think in terms of what we're talking about and have been talking about uh, today and, and what this, your, your show is related to, probably is, is, uh, that's the best paper to read, I think, in terms of, of pulling that all together. And that paper, I think, is available on Oh, if it's not available on your website, we can certainly make it available. Um, so that that's the one I think that is probably the most relevant to uh, to what we've been talking about. We got to link that one up, Cardi. We will do that. I've uh, I think I've read through that paper at least ten times because there's just so many good things in there. The the way that you summarized everything and kind of brought everything together is just uh, yeah. For just the fantastic. person that for the person that doesn't want to read about the research, you can you can go to the end of each section and it's kind of a summary there, kind of a Cole's <laughs> notes section. So um, that might be the the better strategy for someone who doesn't really want to know. But if you want to know a little bit about how the how the conclusions got there, then um, then I think the research is kind of fascinating if you if you want to get into that too. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. We'll definitely we'll definitely link that up. Appreciate appreciate your time, Tim. It's always uh, always awesome to talk to you and, um, and get a little wisdom um, from your experience with this. Well, great. It's it's been fun to to talk about this stuff, and uh, I really appreciate uh, what you guys are, are trying to do, and and I hope that. Uh, that golf instruction and golfers alike are going to uh, benefit from it. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Cordy. <laughs>